This is a special edition of Late Night Health. I'm Mark Allen. Love makes the world go round. And we're going to be talking about a story today that is truly, truly amazing. It's a story of love, compassion. Uh, it's a riches to rag story rather than a rags to riches story. Uh, our guest is Brian McGowan. Uh, Brian uh, has written a book and it's called Just Another Day of Hell in Paradise. Brian, welcome to Late Night Health. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Uh, this video is really geared not only to consumers, but more so to the industry, publishers, uh, producers, movie directors who are looking for something that's a little bit different, a little bit out there and just amazing. And at the same time, showing that the practice of medicine is just that. It's the practice. It's really not 100% science. Uh, Brian, you met the love of your life and she was sick almost from the beginning of when you met? Uh, that's true. We, we met and we didn't realize that uh, Deirdre had Lyme disease. And by our third date, she had already had knee surgery to deal with the knee pain, joint pain. And um, it, it helped a little bit, but it didn't really help. Everything came back. And we went on like this for eight or nine years before somebody suggested we look into Lyme and that's what it was at the time no, in New York city. Nobody really knew about Lyme. It was, it was in the mid eighties and um, it was, especially in the city, people knew about it in Connecticut, but um, it took a while. And then when we finally, um, so for all that time, she was always looking for an answer. We were always trying something new, trying something new, trying something new. Everything helped a little bit because it helped symptoms, but nothing really cured it until we, treated the Lyme about nine years after we met. Uh, Lyme disease is usually caused by the bite of a tick, isn't it? Yes. Um, as it turned out, her parents lived in Connecticut and she used to go in their backyard and do yoga in the grass. And then uh -huh. because everyone in New York said, well, you can't get it in New York. This was before they even knew that it could be transmitted by birds and carrying the tick. And um, so it was almost nobody, nobody was looking for it until uh, you know, we figured out finally where it came from. You ended up living on a beach and we're gonna get there. Uh, you were a successful consultant on Wall Street making a lot of money. Um, Deidre was working. What did Deidre do? She was a manager of human resources at a large Fortune 50 company. So she was doing okay too. She was. And all of a sudden she couldn't work. How did that affect first her and then you. Well, if she, it was, it was gradual. It was just harder and harder to focus. We did, what we didn't know at the time was the Lyme affects, you know, it has a neurological impact. So she was finding it hard to focus. She was tired. She had joint pain. It was, it was really hard to work. It was harder and harder. And finally she just had to quit. She, she didn't know what was going on, but she said, I just can't do my job anymore. And, um, so she left um, work, which, which wasn't a, a, an undue financial burden, but it made everything, we'd lived in New York City, so it made everything a little tighter. And then 
Um, what really caused a financial burden was all the things that we tried. We, we started with allopathic medicine. And once that was exhausted, we, we tried a few people, you know, the, the basic tests didn't show her anything wrong with her. Um, everyone said, oh, it's fine. They started to think it's in your head. You're not really sick. And then we went to a medical detective um, who we had some hope about. And he said, you know, after a couple of visits, he said, you know, there's a very small percentage of people we can't help. And you're in that percentage, I'm sorry to say, you know, good luck. So then but we went to a bill anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that happened. Yes. Yes. Um, so we went down the, the alternative route, just, you know, Deirdre was basically on her own at that point, whatever she could, you know, we try, we first, we tried homeopathy and, you know, things like that. And, um, and, and then that was all out of pocket, you know, none of that was covered by insurance. So that started to become a strain. And, and of course, anything that showed promise we wanted to try. And then we lived in New York city and it was very toxic and she was sick there and she did better in the country. So we started renting country houses and, you know, spending more and more time out of the city. And it gradually, you know, morphed into, you know, someone who had built a house in the Bahamas on this tiny little island. And, you know, and that was good for a while. And, you know, there was just nothing that we didn't try and at some point we just went through everything. And at some point I was trying to travel back and forth from these remote locations. And, um, you know, it was almost impossible to keep, to keep working the way I was working. And I had to spend more and more time with her and I was making less and less money. And then eventually I, I couldn't work. Um, it's a little bit of a long story, but when we wound up in Hawaii, um, I couldn't continue working and there was no work on island so we just went through the rest of our money and then we were we were at zero literally penniless and relied on charity from friends and family to survive let's uh let's talk about the psychological impact first of all while it's it's you know you are we are what we eat that's one but we're also we are what we do and I think that's important for both men and women. I mean, when people retire, oftentimes, if they don't find something else to do, they die. And they need to find a purpose in life. Deidre's purpose, helping people get work, learn about all the HR things, you know, insurance and profit sharing and all that stuff that HR people do, was cut away from her. How did she react to that? He, uh, interestingly, yeah, at first it was tough. And then she decided she needed to focus on something other than just being sick. And she decided she, was, she would be a therapist. She applied to and got into Columbia graduate program, went down there for orientation. And it was just so overwhelming. And she was so sick already at that point that she just realized she couldn't begin a whole regimen of school. So she came home and had to drop out. Um, it was devastating for her. It seemed that she couldn't do anything, you know, except be sick. And when we went to a homeopath, um, he said to her, we went through four days of testing and all this, and he made all these recommendations. Then he said, go take an art class. And we were like, 
Did he just say, go take an art class? And he said, it doesn't matter what kind of art class, any kind of art class. And we live not too far from the 92nd Street Y. Deirdre went in, took an art class, and just it, it opened a whole new world. And she, it was a kind of a simple art class. And then after that, taking that twice in a row, she enrolled in a real art school that was nearby and started oil painting and discovered her life. I mean, that was who she truly was. And we had no idea. And it was amazing that the way we found out, but it was that consumed her. And then she had something to focus on, something really positive that she loved. But then of course she was getting more chemically sensitive and then the oil painting made her sick and she had to quit that. I have to tell you, I just wrote down on my pad here, oil painting was the oil. And the 92nd Street Y, I've seen some of the lectures, great place. Uh, that had to be psychologically devastating again. I mean, this is a love story. Your, your, your book is a love story. But at the same time, it's a psychological, I don't know if thriller is the right word. I Unfortunately, mean, it is. Yeah, exactly. At that point when she had to, you know, first she finds a passion that she can work on, and then she can't do it because she's getting sick from the oil. Yeah, that was devastating to her. And, and you know, the whole story is, is just a series of finding something that might be hopeful, might bring us some hope, and then, no, it doesn't work. And then another thing, no, it doesn't work. And, and I don't, I truly don't know how she kept going as long as she did. I mean, we, she, you know, she spent a lot of time in therapy. She had to do it on the phone. She couldn't go in person. Um, at some point we both uh, entered an energy healing school, um, you know, as part of the, as, as part of the process of exploring all the alternative possibilities, energy healing was something she wanted to work with. And, you know, so that, that kind of put us down more of a spiritual path. We started working with shamans. We started working with all kinds of plant spirit medicine, all, all kinds of things. And um, so, so she, she started having more of an active spiritual path and, and that I think kept her going. And just, I mean, I remember one time we were both at the bottom and we just had no hope. And I said, I can't go on. Why do you want to go on? You know, why, why do you even want to live? And she said, believe it or not, I want to have a life with you. And it was like, wow. I, that knocked me out because I, I just thought what she has to go through and what she's putting up with, I couldn't believe that that was her answer, but there was just, that kept her going, you know? And, and at one point we went to a clinic in Switzerland and it was such a controlled environment and it was, there was so much help there. It was a uh, biological medicine, which seemed to really work for her. Um, it, it, she actually got as close as she could be to normal functioning while she was there. But then when we came, we were there for six weeks, we came back to New York and of course, you know, out of the bubble, everything starts to unravel, but she at least had the idea. She knew there was hope. She knew there was a way to be better. So she never gave up trying to find that. She knew we couldn't afford to go back to Switzerland forever, but you know that's why we wound up in Hawaii, clean air, you know, live on the beach, that kind of thing. And you know, but but that wasn't enough. I, I living on the beach after living in in a townhouse in New York, having a place in the Bahamas, 
visiting uh, Deidre's parents in, in Connecticut. That's, a, I mean, holy moly, that's a change. Are yeah. you, I mean, did you, were you in a, a homeless encampment? Were you on private property? We were, we were on the sand itself. We had to be careful about being on private property. Uh, we were on the sand itself, just along the beach. We were all the way down one end of the beach where, you know, it was kind of, a, there was a kind of protected by a little grove of bushes. So we, we had some privacy. Um, but at that point, she was so chemically sensitive that she couldn't tolerate a tent. So we, we had nothing. She just slept on a, you know, on a, on a, like a cotton bed mat. Um, and I had a sleeping bag and we just slept on the sand. And when it rained, I had to get up and assemble umbrellas over us because she couldn't tolerate a tent. So we couldn't even tolerate a tarp. We tried to you know, wash them out and air them out and everything. Nothing, everything was too toxic for her at that point. So um, I had, I had could sleep with an umbrella over me, but I had to sleep with my head out. So I knew it was raining. I could jump up and then assemble the umbrellas and we'd be under that. And as soon as it stopped raining, we'd, you know, disassemble the umbrellas, go back to bed until it rained again. And, and it, it rains more than you think. Yeah, and it, yes, I was going to say, uh, it rains quite a bit in in uh, on most of the islands of uh, of Hawaii. During this time, did you ever you you said you wanted to to give up yourself, but giving up your home, your income, your savings, your life? I'm assuming your friends. Um, how did you react to that? You know, it's the kind of thing where you look up and you go, how did I get here? How could I possibly have let things get to this point? But it happens so incrementally, you're not, you never really have a chance to step back and look at the big picture. You're always in crisis mode. You say, how do I get through this crisis? What's the next thing, the next right thing we have to do? And each each decision advances you along the path just a little bit more. You know, it's it's so incremental. You don't really notice until everything. All of a sudden, you're losing your house, and you're you know you're sleeping on the sand in Hawaii, and you go like, how could this ever have happened? And it 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 really couldn't happen if you could be consciously aware of it. But you just you just keep going. Well, and and then the further you go along the path, the more you say, well, we've gone this far. We can't give up now. You know, so you just keep and trying crazier and crazier things and you know it's everything's relative so it's it's not really crazy because the thing you did before it was almost as crazy so it's just a little more crazy each time until you wind up in a ridiculous situation this is late night health i'm mark allen we're talking with the author of a of a book soon to be published just another day of hell in paradise and if you're a producer if you're a publisher you got to get in touch with um brian and his people and we've had the uh, uh, email up that you can uh, reach out to them uh, uh, throughout our, our conversation together. What did your family think of this? I mean, I'm going to surmise, uh, Brian and I met briefly the other night. Thank you very much for uh, hosting and uh, we my my gut feeling is you're one hell of a nice guy, okay? Uh, or 
are you one hell of a stupid guy? Which one do you think? <laughs> a little of both. <laughs> um, and how did your family, I mean, your mother passed away a number of years ago now, uh, but after Deidre passed, your brother also. So they both knew Deidre. Um, and then there's Deidre's family. How did this all funnel in to one person? And that wasn't Deidre, that was Brian. Yeah, it was, um, it was surreal. After a while, people kind of think nobody can be this sick, you know, and, and it's the whole multiple chemical sensitivity thing is, is a challenge because you don't look sick. You just have these reactions that nobody else has and they're, they're standing right next to you and they're not reacting the way you are and they can't understand it. And after a while, you know, after five years of standing in the water to detox in Hawaii, people just go, no, that's not the answer. There's something wrong with her. You know, there's something else wrong with her. It's, you know, um, and it's just in her head and, and they, they can't tolerate you not getting better after all this time. It's hard for them to witness it. And that, I think that's what happened with the families and the families after a while, um, you know, start to think, well, it's just, just, you know, is she being a drama queen or whatever? Is this real? Is this real? You know, and then, um, my family, I spoke to them on the phone. Um, you know, we kept in touch. They helped us financially as much as they could. Um, but I hadn't seen them in five years and, and they were just kind of wondering if they were ever going to see me again. And it was, everyone tried to be as accommodating as possible. And I think, I think on the phone, they tried to be upbeat and positive, but I, you know, kind of finding out later on that they were, they were kind of despairing about this and just thinking like, how could this be? And, you know, were they worried about you? Yeah, they were, they were, I was, I was lucky to be, I, I don't get sick. I'm not one of those people who get sick. Thank God. Um, Knock on wood. Yes. But, um, you know, at some point it just wears you down so much. There's no break. There's this level of stress is constant and, you know, it, it just after a while, it was taking its toll on me. And I was wondering, how much longer can I do this? You know, I just didn't know. And I, at, at some point, I was thinking, well, I don't think Deirdre's going to make it. And I'm not even sure I'm going to make it. And I don't know, you know, wh what if something happens to me? And um, I mean, there was I, at some point, I got a hernia from carrying things around. And then I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop for one day, much less get surgery. So I just had to find a way to carry things that didn't, you know, aggravate it and, and just try to, you're always trying to adjust to the next untenable situation um, in a way that you can manage in a way that you can sustain. And that's, it was, it was just nonstop. I mean, you, you, you think that you have limits but until you're actually forced to face them, you find out that you can always do more. And, you know, I found out I could go way past what I ever thought I could have. Um, it's not the way I necessarily want to find out, but um, I, I think we're all capable of, of way more than we think, but we don't have to find out until we have no choice. We, uh, here at the, uh, the Allen uh, family residence, uh, one of our favorite TV shows was Better Call Saul. And Saul's older brother um, had an allergy to electricity. Mm. Okay? 
he actually wore aluminum foil to protect himself. And you could see that most people thought he was nuts and crazy. Yet there was definitely some kind of reaction. Recently in the news, there are people who have reactions to 5G um, and even 4G and computers and other cell phones. And a lot of times people go, oh, come on, it's all in your head. When somebody said that to you, when a doctor said, you know, Brian, it's in Dietrich's head. It's, it's all psychological. How did you react? Not the first time, not the 10th time, but did you ever say, doc, you're nuts. She's sick, fix her. Yeah, it, it was extremely frustrating. It was, it was, you know, the tests aren't designed to diagnose those kinds of illnesses. So they look at you and they check your heart and they check your blood pressure and oh, you're fine. You know, and you're like, no, we're not fine. We gotta look deeper. And, and at some point, um, it, it, it did make you crazy. And Deirdre realized she was on her own. And fortunately, she's an amazing researcher. And she just dug and dug and dug and discovered all these things. And she'd be talking to practitioners around the world, either by email or sometimes on the phone, picking their brains. She'd find something that someone who looked like they might be able to offer her some help. And um, she'd be you know, doing whatever she could. I mean, she, she stopped at nothing. And he was, she knew that she was basically responsible for her own life. She wasn't going to get the help she needed anywhere else because nobody understood her. And it was, uh, you know, now, now I think down the road, people are getting more, the, these symptoms are coming out more and more in people and they're, they're beginning to look at it as you just suggested. But back then it was totally like, yeah, you're crazy. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. It's in your head. And that, there's nothing that makes you more crazy when you know you're sick and someone says there's nothing wrong with you. Or when you're not sick and somebody says you are sick. Right, right. Okay. right. There's so many things that we could talk about and we're, we're, our time is limited. Uh, again, if you're a producer, if you're in the film business, if you're looking for a project, this could be a really great one. Uh, there had to have been a time, Brian, and you've already said that you were willing to give up, but Deidre wasn't. Her spirit, her drive, her zest for life, has that stayed with you over the last six years or so? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it, it, it was just so phenomenal that even when I, you know, when I, we used to have a conversation and just say, look, it's okay. You know, you, you don't have to keep doing this. And she just never gave up. I mean, she kept going up every, every day after we ate, she had to walk, she had to exercise so she could digest. She had a lot of digestive issues. And at some point she, I had to help her stand up. She couldn't walk. And at some point she literally couldn't walk and to stand up in the water every day, which is how she detoxed. I had to hold her up. And even then she was just, you know, at that point, I think we kind of knew it was, it was near the end, but, um, it's, I, I will never forget how, you know, it puts things in perspective when I have to face what I consider a crisis. And I think about, you know, how she reacted to the, cir the circumstances of her life. It just, it helps me to realize like, this is nothing I can get through this. This is not, this is not the end of the world. I, I've just never seen someone who 
it was almost to the point of like, maybe you should give up at this point, but she never would. She just never gave up the hope of, you know, she wanted to paint, she wanted to be together. She wanted to enjoy love. She wanted to enjoy the th all the things that she loved. She wanted to have her life and um, just never gave up the hope that the next thing we find might just be the thing that does it. Uh, I'm, I, when I read, read the synopsis of the story and, and talked to you, I immediately thought of um, Ryan O'Neill and um, in um, Love is Never Having to Say You Sorry. Is that, is there any correlation there? Yeah, I, I think that I, I think it, it fits certainly to the extent that Deirdre felt bad that my life was, you know, our life was kind of destroyed by her health and by what she required. I mean, we, you know, I drove cross country seven times just trying to get her to places where she needed to be. And um, I mean, it just goes on endlessly. And I, and I, you know, and we went through every every dollar we had. So I I know that she felt bad about that, but at the same time, she knew that we had to keep going. And I I was I was willing to do it because we both thought, okay, there's got to be an answer, and we'll find it. Eventually, we'll find it. We keep eliminating all the things that don't work. We'll get to the one that works. But there really wasn't one that worked. And when we finally found out what would work for her, it was it was too late. Hawaii was our best shot and that worked for a while. It probably added a few years to her life, but um, there wasn't going to be a, a, a real thing that could get her better again. So, um, you know, I, I know it, it, it really hurt her that it had the impact on me, but then again, it's like, you can't say, I'm sorry. You just have to keep going. And, and we were a team. I mean, we, we worked as a team and there was nothing I wouldn't do. And, at some point, there is nothing. Did she ever say, I'm sorry? You know, I think she did. I'm, um, I remember one time on the beach in Hawaii where she just, just kind of, I, it was a down day for her. And she just said, you know, I'm sorry that I dragged you into this. It's, you know, I, I don't know how we get out of this, but the next day she was back to like, we're going to find a way through this and we're going to get out of this. So it was a, there was that little, that little moment where she felt like maybe this was all a mistake, but she didn't, she never stayed in that place. Well, uh, I have one request. And then when the food movie is made, I just want to play the nicest doctor you met. Um, <laughs> and um, done. Yeah, good. Uh, listen, thank you very much. Uh, you know, you've, you've come a long way they, uh, in, in recounting the story, uh, you know, talking about everything from uh, allopathic traditional medicine to alternative health and trying to figure out why things like this happen and why think people don't listen. Doctors don't always listen. And I think that they need to listen and they need to understand that there are, there are situations and problems. Brian McGowan has been our guest. He's got a great book out. It'll coming out. It's called just another day of hell in paradise. And, um, it's, it's heartbreaking, 
Brian, will you come back and give us an update? I would love to. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, I'm Mark Allen. This is Late Night Health. We'll see you next time. Oh.